Well, good morning. Great to see you today. That gave me a perfect uh, opportunity to just stop and on a couple fronts say thank you so much um, for your partnership with our church um, in your giving. Um, it's something I don't talk about a lot um, uh, simply because I probably reacted to every time you turn the TV on and you see some religious guy talking about sending money, right? Um, giving is always a matter of the heart, always a matter of the heart. It is a heart issue. It's not a, okay, um, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I'm going to earn this or I'm going to do this by, by giving. It's just a, it's an expression of what God has done in your own life. And, um, and I just, I, I'm just thrilled and I probably need to tell you a little bit more. Uh, thank you for your giving. Um, th that's what goes on with all this stuff. Um, and in fact, you know, year after year now, the last three years, our biggest year, then our biggest year, then our biggest year. And this year we're headed toward another bigger year in giving. And that is used uh, in so many different ways. Uh, we have always been committed to being a church that's a 10% church. And so what we mean by that is not just the five cents on every dollar or going to missions that are kind of appropriated by the Nazarene church. There's like over 700 missionaries that we all collectively support. But we're a church that's committed to giving over 10% of our income to missions um, all around the world. And so we do that year after year after year. And so, that, uh, again, just thank you for that. Allow God to bless you in your own life by having an open hand. Uh, I have experienced in my own life, I've seen it over and over and over and over. Open hands, generous hearts, um, it's amazing what God does. And so thank you so much for that. And that kind of just uh, gives me a, a chance to say thank you for responding to, the, to the, uh, the, the thing I just I mentioned three weeks ago in service about the Myers family. And just ask if you would give afterwards. Over $3,000 you guys gave in just like an impromptu offering. And so thank you so much. That meant the world to them. They were blown away, right? They were just absolutely blown away that we would even consider doing that. And, um, you know, one surgery in, another one six months, another two years, that's a tremendous just blessing to them and just the thought for that. And so, and so thank you for that. I have to com confess, yesterday morning about 9.30, um, my frame of mind was not good. Um, I was not happy about spending my Saturday morning uh, when it's 30 degrees and wet, cold, and going out and playing football at 40 years old um, with what I thought was just like going to be like 10 guys. I thought, man, I can just be doing other stuff. And uh, I was not in a good frame of mind. Got there, though, and we had a blast. It was so much fun. My perspective did a 180. Like, I walked away, and if my body would have let me, I'd have played another couple hours. Um, it, it was so much fun. It, it really, really was. But you know what? It's amazing. I woke up this morning, and I'm back to that other frame of mind. <laughs> because my body is just like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? And, uh, but you know what? Coming, being together in worship, uh, I'm back 180, right? I guess I'm just living the roller coaster, but... Good deal. I hope you enjoyed that, you guys that were here. It was a fun, fun day and uh, something that I'm going to look forward to now instead of uh, like, uh, I guess I'll go. 
but it, it was a lot of fun. Anybody, anybody taking a trip this year? Uh, anybody, anybody taking a plane trip this year? Yeah? Uh, what about a train trip? Anybody rode a train this year? The one train trip in the first service was in China. That was pretty exotic, you know, pretty, uh, uh, pretty cool. Uh, what about a road trip? Anybody do a road trip this year? Yeah, road trips are so fun, right? Um, and I say that because we're on the verge of taking a road trip next summer to like Yellowstone and all that. Yeah, and uh, they are so fun. I don't know how we're going to do it for kids. So it might not be fun, but... Um, uh, yeah, you know, planning for a trip, the excitement of a trip, right? And thinking about all the things you're going to do. And I would say a road trip's just like that. Like, there's something cool and magical about it. At least it was when I was growing up. And um, um, it's just fun. You get ready. You anticipate. You uh, think about all that's going to happen. You make memories. Let me ask you this. Any of you ever taken a guilt trip? Yeah? Y'all are a bunch of liars. And you need to feel guilty. Yeah. We all know what it's like to take a guilt trip, don't we? Guilt is common, 100% common to the human condition. As soon as I say the word, you know what I'm talking about. You maybe even think about the emotions you feel with that. Some of you today maybe are in the middle of, of feeling super guilty about something in your life. There's all sorts of guilt out there, right? right? We even talk about it, we even joke about it. We joke about um, Catholic guilt, all right? The Catholics joke about that. I'm not trying to joke about anything they don't, talk, they don't joke about. Catholic guilt, right? Mom guilt, right? The mom guilt with our society. There's all sorts of guilt. We're con- we're, we know what guilt is, but all of us know exactly what it is to really be guilty not mom guilt or this guilt or those other things that we might deal to really 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 feel guilty that's a common that's a common feeling to all of us they are finding more and more how damaging guilt is in our life we weren't constructed we were not made to live with guilt we weren't it's incompatible with a healthy lifestyle emotionally and even physically when we live with guilt when we allow that to just be internalized and dwelt on and kind of stuffed in there and not dealt with and not we just suffer But of course, as believers, we believe that the core thing is our spiritual life, right? Out of all the other things, our spiritual life, they all exist out of our spiritual life. And the scriptures tell us that you and I are actually supposed to experience a life in Christ, walking with God in relationship with God, where Romans says that there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. This common malady of our world that we're all familiar with is something that God actually has designed a a program, a plan for our lives 
where we do not have to coexist with guilt. Now, it's easy to say that, right? It's easy to say those words. And yet, all of us know that it's a lot harder to experience a life free from guilt. And I know I'm talking to people that you, you know in one sense that you don't stand guilty before God because of your placing your faith and trust in Him, right? And guilt is gone because uh, you positionally you are forgiven and you're not guilty, right? You know that. And yet, you and I live in the world that there are obviously times and things that we do when we recognize, I blew it, that was a horrible call, bad decision, bad attitude, sinful action. And we still continue to wrestle, I believe, with guilt for those things. And so not only is the is the person who doesn't know Christ just racked with guilt, lives with guilt, or has guilt, even us who positionally before God have been forgiven still know what it is to sense an ongoing need for God's continual forgiveness in our life and somehow for us to be alleviated of guilt, right? So I just want to talk to you for a few minutes today about that. Just remind you of this, um, of what God says about this whole idea of guilt. And the, the reality is that he calls us to live a life free from guilt. I just want to look at, you know, what do we normally do with our guilt? What does God want us to do with our guilt? And then what has God done with our guilt? And it's quite simple today, but it's simply this. What do we do with our guilt? Well, a common thing so often is, is we bury it. We bury it. It's a common uh, phrase in our culture to say, just bury your past. The problem is, the guilt from that past doesn't seem to stay buried. It's like a zombie keeps coming back, keeps uncovering itself. And yet, it's obvious. Look at David. David, a man after God's own heart. Um, one of, like, the exhibit A of, for us to understand how to live life with God um, and experiencing God. Look at David. You remember David, who's a man after God's own heart, has a period in his life especially when he, he blows it. He makes horrible decisions way out of the context for God's will for his life. You remember especially the story that this psalm centered around when David chooses to take another man's wife and then have that man killed to cover, right? I mean, I guarantee you that none of us... You know, does somebody need to? No. That's, that's extreme, right? Horrible call. And what would that cause? It should cause tremendous amounts of guilt, right? And it did. And in fact, David would testify about that year of his life 
where he had, he had done these things and before he was called out by the prophet Nathan, he describes that year and he describes it like this way. I kept silent and when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. My groaning was all day long. So David is like, I'm going to bury it. I'm going to keep quiet. That is what we are prone to do. And all through scripture, we see great men of God and people who were not so great uh, people of God who confronted with their bad behavior or what, how they responded to their bad behavior and the guilt that came from it, they chose to bury it. David is no different. This is a common response for us. He said, night and day, your hand was heavy on me. In fact, my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then, after he's confronted, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not, what? Cover up. I had been burying it. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. We bury it. It looks like things like we minimize our action. It's not really that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things um, compared to what they have done, right? We, we minimize it. We rationalize it, right? Rationalize. Rationalize is simply two words. Rational lies. That's what it is. It's rational lies, and we rationalize our guilt. We compromise it. It's kind of like the old Chinese proverb, the fortune cookie that says, commit a sin twice and it won't feel like a sin. Just lower your standards. So you thought this was wrong, but you did it. So just lower yourself. It's not wrong anymore. I did it twice. It doesn't even feel bad anymore. We compromise it, right? We just bury our guilt in so many different ways. And yet, just like a zombie, well, there's not even any sense. Well, spoiler for some of you. It, uh, it keeps coming back, right? We bury it. We do other things. We not only bury it, we blame others. And this is such the story of our creation. It's all this creation. Genesis chapter 3. Two people in a garden have it perfect. Just don't do one thing as God is giving them the dignity of free will. Just leave that tree alone. They can't do it. They, they eat the fruit. God comes to visit them. They are now aware of their sinfulness. They are they're shamed, right? They hide. God finds them. The explanation is this. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit, right? And the blame game began. And the blame game continues to live. Amen? Yeah. Blame is really, I like what Rick Warren said, blame is, think of it this way, be lame. 
That's what blame is. It's you being lame. Amen, right? But that's what we do. How do I handle my guilt? I'm just going to blame somebody else. I'm going to deflect. It's kind of like we have this scale in our minds, and when you feel guilty, you blame the other person to bring the scale to balance, and you blame others. We also, we beat ourselves up. One of the core effects of our fallenness, you would think it would be depravity, and it is. But another core part of the fallen condition is the belief that I can fix something. That I'm good enough, or I can become good enough, or I have enough resources to make something right. That's at the heart of religion. And it's what, in our bent, fallen condition, we naturally trust in ourselves to fix something. And then we just beat ourselves up because maybe we can't or we're not, you know. Um, I mean, I've seen that people even sabotage, will even sabotage their own success because they live with guilt, because they don't believe they deserve what they got. This happens all the time with celebrities. You don't believe me? Read their stories. They will tell you this. They can't handle the fame and success because so often things that happen in the world are kind of random. We use a word luck, right time, right place. You just happen to be seen in an audition. There's 52 other people as talented as you, but you got seen. That's not good grammar. You were seen. And yet they know that. People that are successful a lot of times live with this. They realize that they don't know how to handle this. They feel guilt because they realize, I didn't really earn all this that I've got, all the fame, all the money, all the stuff. And there's guilt. And so they do something completely stupid and irrational. And you're like, why would you ever do that? Like you have money and success and fame and everything that this world seems why would you not just stay in your lane and they can't because guilt read about it it's amazing that self-destructive tendency of selfish people is tied many times to guilt i didn't earn it it's not fair and we beat ourselves up david again Dealing with guilt, he said, I'm bowed down low. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day I go around mourning. He says, Sorry. I am bowed down. Oh, yeah. Verse, uh, verse four My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. He's beating himself problem is with what's wrong with punishing yourself is you don't know when enough is enough. We don't have a good indicator, and we just keep beating ourselves up, and we just make a mess. I remember reading the story of the guy, uh, and some of you, this will date me, 1986. I'm in kindergarten. You remember the, uh, the uh, space shuttle, the, Ch- the Challenger? Remember that whole story? 
Krista McCullough was her name, right? I think the school teacher. Such a big day. I remember they made a big day about it in my little public school in, in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And we were all excited. It, it didn't end up too well, did it? Remember? She goes up and the challenger blew, blows up. And it's just such a national tragedy. And I've, there's a story about one of the engineers um, who gave an interview and then he gave an interview a few years ago who weeks before that challenger was supposed to go up, him and a couple other engineers kept telling him it's not good. It's not ready. It's not ready. And they wouldn't listen. And they went ahead. In fact, the guy says that the night before the launch, he told us, he looked over at his wife and says, I think it's going to blow up. And it did. And that man, from that day on, has been racked with guilt. Guilt that, he said in an interview 30 years later, that I just didn't do enough. If I would have just been better, they would have listened to me. That's what we do, man. We just beat ourselves up. We don't know how to handle with guilt. That's what human nature does. But what does God want me to do with my guilt? What does Jesus want me to do with my guilt? Man has a tendency to bury, blame, and beat up. Here's what God asks us to do. One, admit it. You say, well, that's really simple, Chip. Admitting it is simply standing with no crutch. No, I'm going to fix it. No, I'm going to do better. Admitting it is just, I blew it. I made a bad call. I had a bad attitude. I, whatever. Instead of burying, he calls us to admit it. Just embrace, this is me, this is what I've done. No blame, no bury, just me standing stark before him, this is me. Admit it. Proverbs uh, 20, 27, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing Every hidden, most, every, every hidden motive. And the idea of this proverb is that God has given us conscience to give us self-awareness, to help us discern who we are, what we've done. Admit it. See, the world buries behind so many things, minimizing, rationalizing, compromising, Whatever I can do to flush guilt out of my life. Something that'll chase it for a while. And then I wake up and it's not gone. God says admit it. Confront it. Stop. I love this phrase. To stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. What are you pretending isn't a problem in your life? Is there anything? Uh, 
for me. I think this is an important practice. This is Psalm 139. God, search me. Know me. Reveal to me any crooked path in my life. That's the kind of posture that ends up Oh, it ends up becoming a lifestyle that is free from guilt. You are never going to be free from guilt unless you admit who you are. Amen? Yeah, this is really cool today, isn't it? It's true. You go to a doctor, get to the root of the problem, right? Sometimes the root of the problem calls for you to Take a hard look at your lifestyle. Correct? God is a spiritual physician. And he calls us to just be people who admit, who are self-aware, who don't live in denial. <clears throat> I would encourage you to sit down with a piece of paper and allow God to speak to you sometimes. Do a personal inventory, a regular one. Everybody, not just, you know, it's like Francis Bacon said, reading makes a broad man, writing makes a specific man. Reading makes a broad man, writing makes a specific man. Thoughts disentangle when they come through the lips and out the fingertips. I'm going to start a rap here in a minute. Somebody get me a beatbox tune. It's true. Why write things down sometimes? The spiritual journaling or... I'm telling you, there's some power to it. Get it on paper. This is who I am. I have a terrible attitude. I have a sharp tongue or whatever. I just need to admit, and I keep doing this, and I feel guilty about it, and I live with condemnation. How do I get this out of my life? Admit it. The second thing is accept responsibility, right? David is so beautiful in this. Psalm 51, man, it's like 100% my deal. It's my deal. People who live without guilt are people who accept responsibility. And here's what I want to say that might be a little, a little uneasy for you today. I think the scriptures are teaching us how to accept responsibility. James 5, confess your sins to each other. <laughs> Woo! There is something powerful, concrete, and accountable when you and I are willing to come to a place in our life if there's behaviors that are causing guilt in our life to find somebody, a trusted friend. Don't tweet about your sins, okay? Please don't do that. But to find somebody that you trust Right? And say, hey, I'm going to confess my sin to each other and we're going to pray about this because I want it out of my life. I want to be healed. I don't want to live under condemnation for it. This is God's way. I, 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 love, I love this statement. <clears throat> if you want to be forgiven, tell God. He's the one who forgives. If you want to be healed and set free from the negative emotions, 
tell somebody. That's what this verse is telling me. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. And some of us, us guys are like, what? And you're like, would you just shut up? The more you hide, the more you hurt. And in this matter of living a guilt-free life, no condemnation life, which I think that, honestly, a lot of, a lot of us need this to impact our life, to be free. It would breathe so much spiritual confidence into our lives. It would build, breathe so much spiritual power into our lives if we just lived with no condemnation, guilt-free. Some of it is we just need to say, you know what, I'm going to admit who I am and I'm going to accept responsibility. And part of accepting responsibility is it's not going to be my little secret thing anymore. It's not a shadow thing. I'm going to bring it to the light and I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to say, hey man, I need help. Help me get free of this. That's part of what God calls us to do. And I believe people who live guilt-free are people who have found somebody to help them take responsibility. The last thing is simply this. Ask for forgiveness. You say that's really simple. Yes, this is all very simple. If we confess our sins, if we ask, if we confess, he is faithful, he is utterly reliable, is what that means, and just just is, you know, Peter did this thing with Jesus, like, you know, he thought he was being really cool when he said, hey, Lord, um, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Like, seven times? Like, the whole adage then, the, the Hebrew uh, wisdom then was, forgive a person four time, three times. If they sin against you the fourth, walk away. All right? And so Peter's doubling that. He's like, Jesus, should we forgive them seven now as Christians? New Jesus followers? And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, forgive them 70 times seven. Like, unlimited forgiveness. Why? What makes that possible? What is this kingdom about? Well, it's about a God who did such a thing in Christ and his death and his resurrection that the forgiveness of God is overwhelming in this world. It's not meted out. Okay, seven times now. I don't know if I can do that the eighth time. It's just forgive. Because God is just liberally, lavishly forgiving you. He is faithful and just. Just is the idea that the sins of the whole world, here I go with the scale again, the sins of the whole world have tipped the scales like this. It's a whole lot of sin. And yet Jesus' death and resurrection steps on the scales and it doesn't balance it out. It flips the scales. That's how powerful the death of Jesus Christ was. And so when you ask for forgiveness, if you have to ask every 30 minutes, his work on the cross is far more efficient for your life. The rest of your life, if you have to, God forgive me. Jesus' work. That's why he's just. And will, maybe, shall, think about it. No, he will forgive us our sins. Ask 
Why this is important is just asking is because the human tendency is to do things like beg, barter, borrow, and bargain. Bribe. See, we want to, God, if you'll forgive me this time, I'll do this for you. Right? Have you ever done that? Probably. I have. God, if you'll just forgive me and get me out of the situation, I will do this. See, all of a sudden we're like bartering and bargaining with God. Forgiveness isn't like that, man. It's like, I forgive you. Don't barter with me. Don't beg. Don't bribe me. You don't have to. It's this kind of forgiveness that once we grab a hold of it, changes our whole life. Because we realize how undeserving and how little we could ever earn something like this. We're just changed. Totally knocked over. I mean, look at my own personal life, the idea that somebody like Nicole would love me, right? It just blew me away. I'm like, I really don't care about anybody else now, right? Her love just like, and it caused me to live a life. Well, God's love and forgiveness is way beyond that. It just inspires, motivates, compels us to continue to follow after him. And he says simply, ask for this forgiveness. You know, this is where Satan is such an accuser, though. It's hard for us to think that we can just ask. Here's what Satan does. He minimizes the decision you're going to make. But then he maximizes the guilt you feel. He minimizes how serious or that decision, ah, that's not a big deal. Then you make it, and you're like, oh, great, and you're feeling all this, and then he just comes and maximizes the guilt, right? And all the while, God is just saying, hey, regardless of how you feel about it, how bad you feel about it, how unworthy you feel about it, how just ask for my forgiveness. If we confess, he is faithful and just. And so, bury, blame, beat up, or admit, accept, and ask. These are the ways that God chases guilt from all of our life. Because you see what happens is that God does his part because he forgives me instantly. And for the sake of time, I'm going to run through these. And if you want the scripture passages, they're in your notes. He forgives me completely. He forgives me freely. It's a lavish love that he has. You know what I was going to share, and I I put too much in my notes, so I'm not going to share it. I realize it's first service. But I want you to think about how God portrays himself to us. What is God like? How does he feel about us who have all we like sheep have went our own way. We went astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. The human fallen condition. Jesus is trying to help people understand God and he shares three parables about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, right? And that lost son, he shares that story about this boy who goes his own way and wastes everything, right? He is disrespectful, he's dishonorful, he's shameful toward his father. He does every cultural taboo that could happen in that culture. And then he takes the money, the inheritance that had been built for generation after generation after generation, and he wastes it, right? On nothing. 
partying. It's like he woke up after the weekend and he had just spent 500 bucks on nothing. He can't even remember what happened, right? The money on what he can't even remember now. He just did that over and over until he was broke. And he realizes, oh, great. Look what I've got myself into. He is a Jewish boy eating pig slop. Not just eating pigs. That was uh, unclean. He's eating their food. He's down in the pig pen with them, right? This is us. This is our story. And remember, he comes to his senses and he says, you know what? The servants live better than I do at my father's house. I'll go back and I'll just ask to be a servant. Remember, he heads back. And remember the picture of the father? He's looking for the son. It's like every day he went out and he just was hoping down the lane, down the road, the son's coming, right? And he sees him. And, and, and he takes off running. Now, in that culture, a man of his position and status would never run. It's undignified. You're making a fool out of yourself. Guess what the father did? Made a complete and utter fool out of himself. In front of the whole town, he's running after the son that every one of them said, yeah, you should shame him. You probably even shouldn't take him back. He should be dead to you, Right? That's what happened in that culture. The son is dead to me. I've moved on. This father runs. And he hugs and embraces, kisses him. You know, it, it's, like, it, it, it's like instead of instead of a lecture, he's giving a kiss. Instead of like a, a, a probation, he's throwing a party. Um, it's it's really what the name of the game is because he says listen my son was dead and is now alive what he's trying to explain to us is in this world that we live in in our guilt and our condemnation our bad decision the only hope we have is the father's love who takes us who was dead to the family who is alive amen the name of the game is not bookkeeping anymore it's resurrection that's the forgiveness that the Father has for us. Freely, completely, instantly, instead of burying, blaming, and beating up, you can and I can experience and drink deeply from the grace of God that offers forgiveness. This story I, I, I finish with, I read about this guy who went to Burma, and he was uh, kind of just on a, on a trip, checking things out, doing, you know, whatever, the hiking thing or whatever. And he had a guide, because it's, it's really rough and primitive. And um, he said they walked through uh, jungles, and uh, said they came to a river, and they waded across the river up to here. He said he comes back up out of the water, and he realizes that he's got leeches now attached to his torso and his legs, right? From the water, nasty. I'm not going to Burma. No. Leeches. And he said instinctively he did what? I'm gonna pull it, I'm gonna fix it, take care of it. And the guy stopped and said, no, 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 don't do that. He said, the minute you do that, the way leeches are, you pull out, some of it still stays in, Kind of like a tick, 
a little bit, you know? And he says, what happens is the part that stays in gets infected. Don't touch it. He said, when we get to where we're going, what you need to do is you need to get some balsam. You need to put it in water in a tub and you need to just soak. And as you soak, those leeches break free completely. And then you're able to just throw them out. I can't stop thinking about that story because I think that's the way God's forgiveness is. I can't fix those, the leeches on my life, right? Sin and bad decisions and bad attitudes and all that stuff. The only thing that works is bathing in, drinking deeply from the love of God and his grace and mercy and compassion and his forgiveness, which is instant, complete, and free. You want to live free from guilt? Drink deeply, drink often from the forgiveness of our Father. If we confess... He is faithful and just. Become a confessor. Drink deeply from it always. There never should be a moment where instead, where instead you choose guilt and condemnation that you shouldn't say, God, I blew it. Sorry. Bad choice. Forgive me. The Father doesn't, well, yeah. You're going to have to figure that out. I forgive you. And so this morning, I just want us to stand and I just want us to read together Psalm 103, about five or six verses. I'm hoping this is a way for you to just start drinking of who the Father is. What you need to drink of. How do I live a life that is, has no condemnation? Well, it's kind of like this. When I set before my heart and mind and when I think about and ponder and trust in this reality of who God is, kind of goes like this. Why don't you read it with me? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Father, break us free. Help us to live free. Help us to realize that we don't have to live with guilt. It doesn't have to, to, to live close to us. It doesn't have to be our companion. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. And you just call us to be people who admit, accept, and ask instead of bury blame and beat ourselves up.
And so, Lord, we do that when we know the heart and love of our Father. You showed us that in the the prodigal son. You remind us of that in this psalm. Help us to drink deeply and often from this well. It's in your forgiveness that we find freedom from guilt and condemnation. And we are healthy, we are whole, and we are confident to live the life you've given to us. Make it so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Go in the name of the Lord. Have a great week.